Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sundays, please visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. We are continuing in our series this morning on practicing the way of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 9, verse 18, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Each week during this series, we're unpacking a different practice or habit or discipline from the life of Jesus that we can engage in that makes us more like Him. And this week, we are taking on the topic of suffering. And really, we want to talk about what it means to suffer well, or to suffer in such a way that we are propelled into the reality of God instead of running the other direction. Uh, But I want to start here in Luke chapter 9 with the life of Jesus, and I want us to see how Jesus related to suffering and the role that it played in his life. This is Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked. Who do you Say, I am. Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. I see you join me in a quick prayer before we continue. Lord Jesus, we turn our hearts and our minds toward you now, Lord. And I pray that as we understand uh, the way that you suffered, that it would inform the way that we suffer. That we would see the one who's gone before us, Lord, and the one who in fact stands beside us here and now, dwells within us in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would inform, color, shape the very darkest moments of our lives into something that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. No sooner does Peter confess the true identity of Jesus for the first time when Jesus impresses upon them a very counterintuitive truth. The Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected and killed. Later in chapter 9, it says, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of men. And again in chapter 18, it says, The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. They will mock Him, insult Him, and spit on Him. They will flog Him and kill Him. 
Isaiah the prophet, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, described him in this way. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Jesus was, quote, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. And in his own words, he says, I will suffer many things. And he did. Rejection in his hometown. Insults and misunderstanding from the religious elite, the crowds, even his own family. The shame and stigma of being born out of wedlock in a very conservative Jewish culture. The pain of being misunderstood, gossiped about, and mocked. Throughout his life, he faced constant opposition, including repeated attempts on his life. He suffered the death of friends and loved ones, and the betrayal and abandonment of those who were still living. He was arrested, falsely accused, beaten, mocked, tortured, and crucified. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. But then he turns around, and in the same breath, he tells his disciples that they too will face pain and suffering. Just as the world hates me, Jesus said, it's going to hate you too. Just as the world has rejected me, it's going to reject you. Just as the world has persecuted me, it is going to persecute you too. And Jesus points out that the life of discipleship is in some sense a life of suffering. Which is why he says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What is the life of discipleship like? To what should we compare it? Well, it's kind of like crucifixion. So on the one hand, we are promised some type of unique suffering as a result of our discipleship to Christ. But the Bible makes it clear that actually every human being will experience suffering as a result of living in a fallen world. As early as page 3 of your Bibles, uh, Adam and Eve reject God in the Garden of Eden, and God essentially sits them down and tells them how hard life is about to become in a fallen world. He says, your work will be hard. With painful toil, you will struggle to earn a living. Relationships will be hard. Childbearing will be hard. Child rearing will be hard. Pain and death have entered the picture. And so you will eventually die. And this pain, this toil, this experience of death isn't a discipleship thing. It's a human thing. 
you are a human being, but therefore you will suffer and you will experience death. I'm just here to cheer you up this morning. But in all reality, we, we have to sit in that. We have to acknowledge that. We cannot deny that. Ernst Becker, in his book, The Denial of Death, said it this way. He said, I think taking life seriously means something like this, that whatever man does on this planet has to be done in the lived truth of the terror of creation, of the rumble of panic underneath everything. Otherwise, it is false. And this rumble of panic underneath everything is suffering and death. It's the reality of life in a fallen world. And every single one of us should acknowledge it because every single one of us will experience it. Each and every one of us, if we live long enough, will experience the loss of loved ones debilitating and fatal illness, personal betrayals, financial hardship, and moral failure. All of these will eventually come upon us. None of us are immune. Suffering is universal. Death is universal. And it's closer than we think. And our impulse when we hear that, is usually a flood of defense mechanisms. We want to deny misery and suffering, defend against misery and suffering, insulate ourselves, pretend that it won't happen to us. We want to run the other way and put our head in the sand. Surely that stuff happens to those people over there, whoever they might be to poor people, to the unprepared, to the uneducated, to the unwhatever. I work hard. I make smart decisions. I have insurance. I avoid risk. I hedge my bets. I, I'm a good moral person. But the unnerving reality is that none of those things can insulate you from suffering and even the apparent randomness of death. They will come for you. And so rather than deny pain and suffering or pretend like it's not there or pretend like it can't happen to us, we want to take those things head on. We want to receive them, embrace them, walk through them in the way that Jesus would. We want to suffer well. And I'm actually framing this as a practice or a discipline that we can engage in that makes us more like Jesus. 
I recognize at the outset that suffering doesn't fit neatly into the category of spiritual disciplines or habits or practices from the life of Jesus, but there's a real sense in which we do want to make a habit of suffering well. We want to engage in it like we would a discipline, and we can choose to do something meaningful with our suffering, and and we can practice it as a discipline, but even more importantly, what we do with our suffering will make a world of difference in whether or not we become more like Jesus or less like Jesus over time. Suffering is everywhere. It's uh, ubiquitous. It's, it's unavoidable. We will experience it. But the other truth about suffering is that suffering is the great divider. It, it forces the issue of our intimacy with God. We can sit on the fence our entire lives, but when suffering comes, it has this way of forcing us off the fence. It has this way of forcing us one direction or another. We either go into the arms of God or we raise our fists in anger. We run the other way in rejection and bitterness. Typically, we either open our arms in dependency or we raise our fists in anger. And the difference between the two can come to define our lives. And and that's what we want to talk about this morning. The scriptures tell us that we will suffer, whether it's a result of being a human being in a fallen world uh, or even as a direct result of our allegiance to Jesus. In both cases, you will suffer. Uh, you, you don't have a choice as to whether or not you will suffer. You, you cannot control it. You cannot avoid it. The real question is, how? Uh, how are you going to suffer? Are you going to suffer well? Or are you going to suffer poorly? And the scriptures in general, and the life of Jesus in particular, have a ton to say on this topic. What does it mean to suffer well? Well, first off, if you're taking notes, it means that you're honest. You're honest with yourself, you're honest with God, and you're honest with others. Uh, We have this uh, tendency to put on a face sometimes as Christians. And we say, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Therefore, I should be too. First part, there's truth in that. Second part, not so much. The way that we sometimes deal with our grief, with our struggling, with our suffering as Christians in our Christian subculture is sometimes very far removed from what the scriptures actually lay out for us, for the way that the Bible teaches us to process suffering. The psalmist is brutally honest about the human condition. 
And, and if you're in a good mood and you read through the Psalms, I often find myself like kind of a downer a little bit. But if you're, if you're struggling, if you're suffering, so many of them w- will put words to what you are, are feeling, sensing, trying to process. God, I'm suffering here. Why? Why is this happening? Where are you? Why am I in this pit? How do I get out of this place? The entire books of Job and Ecclesiastes are basically humans wrestling with God over the nature of suffering. God, why do the innocent die young? Why do good people sometimes suffer more than bad people? Why is suffering so raw, so painful, so seemingly random? Why does it feel so unjust? That, that's, that's the Bible. Those are, those are the words God's given us. Our impulse when we encounter seasons of suffering it is typically to run, to hide, to medicate, to numb ourselves to the pain, to avoid the pain, to deny it, to put on a mask, to suppress, to pretend. But the scriptures actually invite us into this place of raw honesty before God and others. You have absolute permission to say what you really think and to feel what you're really feeling. And ironically, when we run, hide, bury, suppress, distract, self-medicate, we actually end up in a worse place in the end. Instead, we choose to face our feelings, not run from them, And we express what we're feeling to God and others. We sit in the rawness of it. The struggling marriage with unresolved pain that limps on. The struggling business that we sense might go under. The struggling church plant that never lived up to our dreams. The loss of a job the loss of a loved one, the death of a dream, the chronic illness that keeps on resurging, the emotional and spiritual burnout that is sometimes life with three small children, the diagnosis of an incurable disease, We're honest with how we actually feel and what we're actually struggling with. When tragedy hits or that season of frustration sets in, you have two choices. You can turn inward on yourself in bitterness and self-pity, or you can turn outward toward God and biblical community and and, and allow others in through your honesty. 
I can't help but think of Jesus who weeps over the death of his friend Lazarus. Even though he already knows he's going to raise him from the dead. It's a remarkable moment in my mind. He has the cure in hand. He knows he's going to go and raise his friend from the dead, that this tragedy is going to be reversed, and still he weeps over the death of his friend. He's honest before God and others. No suppressing, no plastered smile. He weeps. You're allowed to weep. You're allowed to be angry at death. God is. Jesus was. I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows he's about to be tortured and executed. Uh, By some accounts, the sin of the world might already uh, be in the process of being laid on him. He's sweating blood. And he cries out, Father, if there is any other way, let's do that instead. But not my will but your will be done. He, he expresses exactly what he's feeling. He knows the cross is necessary. He, he knows the, that he's going to be crucified, but he's brutally honest before God. If there's any other way, I would take that way right now. honest in the midst of his suffering. And we can be too. So first, we're honest with God and others about our pain, about our disappointment, about our sense of hopelessness, whatever it is. And second, if you're taking notes, uh, you root your suffering in the biblical storyline, which in four words is creation, fall, Redemption and restoration. The scriptures open with the creation of a beautiful world. Uh, But very quickly, human beings reject God and his purposes for them. And, And this beautiful world retains much of its beauty, but it also becomes a fallen world in which we all experience pain and suffering and even evil simply as a result of being born. Sometimes our suffering is a result of our own sin or stupidity. But the Bible is clear that even the most innocent, well-meaning people in the world will suffer. Jesus was perfect, and he suffered horribly. So we have to recognize that in a fallen world, 
Some suffering may be the result of our own choices or even the loving discipline of God. And some suffering appears senseless in that bad things happen to really good people through no fault of their own. We see both clearly laid out in Scripture. And therefore, because we have this theology of creation and the fall, we should not be shocked when suffering comes. I think too often we, we double our pain because we are absolutely stunned that something bad could happen to us. Or, or we're convinced that it's a result of our sin or that God is punishing us. In reality, the scriptures say that bad things happen to really good people. And, and, and if we don't anticipate that, then the shock of it will only add to the pain. So we anticipate this, we accept this as, as part of being human in a fallen world. Next, in the midst of our pain, we recognize that restoration is coming. That one day Jesus will return to judge and do away with evil, to call all evildoers to account and to restore all things. The scriptures say that our current sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Peter Van Inwagen has an awesome name, but he also has an awesome quote. He says, at some point, for all eternity, there will be no more unmerited suffering. This present darkness, the age of evil, will eventually be remembered as a brief flicker at the beginning of human history. Every evil act done by the wicked to the innocent will have been avenged, and every tear will have been wiped away. All current suffering has to be placed in light of our future glory. In fact, many have gone so far as to theorize that not only will the age to come be infinitely more glorious than this age of suffering, but their theory is that our experience of suffering will actually make that future place even more rich. That because of our current suffering, the age to come will actually be more glorious. In other words, suffering will ultimately bring us to a greater degree of glory and joy than would ever have been possible in its absence. Perhaps the future world will be all the more beautiful for once having been so broken. Now that's just one theory, but if it's true, it would mean the utter defeat of evil. 
that evil in the end will have accomplished the very opposite of what it intended. But in either case, whether you, whether you buy that theory or not, we rest on this promise of future restoration. We, we suffer with hope. There is an eternity out front so beautiful that it is not worth comparing to our current suffering. And finally, we recognize that when Jesus came to redeem us, uh, that he incarnated, that he became human, and he suffered. There is nothing that we can suffer that Jesus has not already suffered, and he suffered worse. The Christian claim about God is unique from all other world religions in this respect because we claim that God has scars. He suffered the depths of our reality and suffered worse spiritual, emotional, and physical suffering than any human being ever has. Not only crucifixion, for many suffered that, but also bearing sin and and experiencing the forsakenness of the Father on the cross. No one can possibly suffer what Jesus suffered. And yet we recognize that Jesus is the one who walks with us in our suffering. In some ways, I'm an odd person uh, to be teaching on suffering because I feel that many of you have suffered more than I have. But probably the greatest experience I have or have had with suffering It was a year of anxiety and depression when I was in law school, uh, which actually became so bad that I became suicidal in my thinking. My anxiety and depression actually became this this living hell that I was stuck in. And suicide sounds crazy until you know what hell on earth is like. I was not aware before this season that that a human being could could feel such incredible lows, uh, such torture of heart and soul, uh, this constant feeling of terror that gripped me 24 hours a day, this weight, this suffocating weight crushing down on my soul. It, It felt unbearable. It was like I'd slipped into some other dimension and and I didn't want to be alive anymore. And in that season, as I sat in, in the depths of that darkness, I questioned what I had done to cause it. Was this me? Was it my own faulty thinking? My idolatry? My lack of trust in God? My own fears about the future, my sin, was I the cause 
Why was this happening? And I question where God was in all of it. God, I know you can save me. I know that you can reach out and you can touch and you can heal. Why don't you heal? Why am I stuck in this place? I I am dying. Where are you? But ultimately, I realized that God was not hidden behind some concrete wall in the sky. Indifference to my suffering, no. God was right there in the midst of it, with me. Suffering with me in solidarity. For our God knows what it is to suffer. And when I suffer, it's not at the feet of an indifferent God. It's in the arms of a loving Father. It's side by side with Jesus, the man of suffering. And though I really rarely uh, sensed God uh, in that season, I chose to believe by faith that God was with me, suffering as I suffered. I chose to press into God as a choice, as a habit, as a discipline, as dry as I was in that season. And there were days I wanted to raise my fist in anger. And there were days when I wanted to curse God and run the other way. But somewhere in the midst of of the worst suffering that I've experienced... I I realized that I had a choice. I I could lean into God, even though I felt empty and dry and dead on the inside. Or I could run from God and cave inward in bitterness and rejection. But the first thing that I did was to come to God in brutal honesty. I I said things to God that in hindsight, I'm not even sure if I was allowed to say. But it didn't matter anymore. I had to come in honesty, and I poured out my frustrations, my hopes, my pain. I was honest with others, even though I really didn't want to open up. Everything in me wanted to close off and run and isolate myself. And I asked my missional community for prayer every single Wednesday night for a year without fail. Hey, would you pray for me? Yep, same thing. And the only reason I didn't quit missional community was because they were meeting at my house and I had nowhere to hide. So I went the other way. I, I was forced to engage in community, and I said, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to be honest. You're going to know what I'm feeling right now. I struggled to trust 
against all odds that somehow God was going to bring me through to the other side. Didn't feel that way. I had to trust that I wouldn't be stuck in this place of pain forever. That takes faith when you're there in the valley of death. I chose to examine myself before God during that season and to allow him to challenge me and and to grow me and to reshape my heart, to call out my fears, my anxieties, my imperfection, my sin. I chose to read scripture dry as I felt and, and to cling to God's promises. Even when I felt numb and tired and dead. Because at some point I realized that that season of suffering was not a throwaway season. In fact, I realized that it might be the most important season of my entire life. I realized that the way that I walked through suffering was going to set a trajectory for the rest of my life. I realized that that I would either come through it stronger than ever or much, much weaker. And this language might sound odd, but I didn't want to waste it. I didn't want to waste my suffering. I I didn't want to to miss-suffer. I wanted, by God's grace, to suffer well. Because ultimately, when we look at Scripture, we see that suffering holds a promise for us. And that ultimately, suffering is a glorious opportunity to make us more like Christ. In fact, I think we become more like Jesus through our suffering than we ever do through our successes. 1 Peter 1 says, Though though now for a little while, i.e. your life, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which persists even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, suffering refines us. And Peter compares our faith to gold, which you would put into a fiery furnace. And and as the heat melted the gold, what would happen is that the impurities would rise to the surface so that they could be skimmed off and taken away. And the scriptures say, that's what suffering is like. It's a fiery furnace. And when you're put into a fiery furnace... It's designed to purify, to strengthen, and to beautify its object. Impurities start to rise to the surface so that they can be removed. Suffering exposes us. It exposes our pride. 
our self-sufficiency, our idols, the things we actually put our trust in. We are brought face to face with the fact that we were never actually in control of our lives, which is a painful truth for most Americans. And most of us think that we've internalized the gospel, but you don't actually know until you're tested, until suffering comes, until you walk through that valley. And most of us think that we love God, but sometimes we've simply fallen in love with the things that he's given us. And we don't learn to love God until God is all we have left. If we suffer well, we emerge from that suffering purified, stronger, more beautiful, more resilient, more wise, more peaceful, filled with gratitude, our character grows and develops because suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character. We come out, if we've suffered well, looking more like Jesus. And this same verse goes on to say that character produces hope so that those who who suffer well emerge more hopeful about this life and the next. Many people who come through suffering come through less anxious than they were before because now they know that God will lead them through whatever lies ahead. And they emerge closer to Christ than they ever were before. Don't waste your suffering. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's earning for us a glory. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on the source of our suffering, but what is unseen. Brothers and sisters, my prayer is that we would be a community that suffers well. It doesn't run from suffering or suppress or deny or self-medicate. A community that, that emerges from every fiery furnace stronger and more beautiful and more Christ-like than we were before. A community that is united with Christ in suffering, that fixes our eyes on what is unseen instead of what is seen. A community that learns from Jesus Himself what it looks like to suffer well.
Let's pray.